Okay, it is Monday, November 27th, 2006. I am here at Adobe Systems in San Jose with Phil Clevenger and Mark Hamburg. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for um, participating in this madness. Uh, Phil, I have wanted to get you on a podcast now for about two or three months and haven't been able to track you down. Thank you for driving down from the city and uh, sitting down during this incredibly busy time. And thank you, Mark, for, for taking time out this afternoon because we're just trying to hit UI freeze. Are we there yet? Are we the, at the, UI? the UI has been declared frozen for a while, but you it's, know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a, it rains a little bit and the surface melts um, and then it freezes <laughs> again. And, I noticed that. But, you know, Phil knows all about that because the reason you couldn't get a hold of him is that we exiled him to Minnesota for a while. <laughs> Sounds like that was a really good thing. But before we get to that, let's, mm. let's just, let's, mm. oh, turn that thing off. Let's get back to, um, I want to go way back now. Phil, I think the team is fond of, of thinking of you as the guy we brought in um, to do for Lightroom what Frank Gehry did for the Bilbao in, in Spain. Oh, how cute. <laughs> how very cute. <laughs> how long have you been on the team now? It's been over a year. It's been about two years. Almost two years. Wow. I know. Yeah. And uh, I was probably And the manager. two of you were the first, first people I met on the team, the first people That's I interviewed right. met here. And uh, we didn't scare you off. No, in fact... Uh, it was nice to meet you both. So um, things are really coming together now. The UI has definitely got a lot of attention. People are looking at it. Most people love it. Some people hate it. But um, it's got a distinct personality. It's totally new. Well, that's what you all wanted to do. That's why, we hired, that's why we hired you. <laughs> Isn't that what you asked for? <laughs> that's what we asked for. <laughs> so just give us a little insight into that whole process. How did you feel when you first joined the team? Did you think we were crazy? Did you, did you get Lightroom? When did Lightroom like really just strike you? When did you get it and feel like you really started hitting your stride with it? Well, those are, those are three separate questions. The, the, the first time I understood what it was you were trying to do was sitting down with you in your office. And you, you provided me with probably the most concise description of, of the goals for the project. Uh, as for hitting my stride, well, it was a long, long while. I've worked with an itinerant band of UI merry pranksters for the last 10 to 15 years, and, and I'm accustomed to having them at close hand, both to be inspired by and to hide behind. <laughs> and uh, this, this is quite literally the first project I have done um, without my longtime dear friends and allies and and so all of you were new to me this project was new to me uh life was tough for me at the time i had just closed down a, a software business that my partner and i started that i loved a lot and uh, i wasn't entirely sure i was going to be able to be of help um but it was an exciting project and it was the first thing i had seen that made me want to get up out of bed and 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 give it a shot so uh, it took a year or so, it, maybe during the first year, sometimes six, seven, eight months in, there was a, an epiphany I had where I woke up one morning and, and was just unbelievably excited about the possibilities. I found myself lingering in Lightroom and seeing things in there that I didn't think anyone had yet seen and uh, was able to contribute those. And, and the team was always very warm and, and, uh, and happy to get uh, input from me. So... It took a while. You're but, going uh, to change the whole image of this team with comments like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're not difficult. <laughs> but we wouldn't be any good if we weren't difficult. Well, you know what? It, it, it takes a village, you know, and, and we're all idi idiosyncratic. 
and without other idiosyncratic people to temper your own idiosyncrasies, things can go astray pretty quick. So ideas tested by debate are you know, generally going to produce stronger well, it solutions. seems like you've proven yourself with this team to be a worthy debater. <laughs> well, I do know this. If I put together a solid argument, Mark is willing to give ground. <laughs> but I have to work. I really have to yeah, work to put together that argument. For sure. Well, going back to the last year where we made the transition from kind of skunk work project to uh, we are definitely going to ship this thing project. How did you feel about that transition? Were you energized by it? Was it a surprise for you? Or how did that work out for the you? The fact that it made the cut or the fact that it almost didn't? I guess the question is, how has the project changed for you since we made that transition into the mode of being in public beta and definitely headed towards shipping? Well, for a good little while after that, I would tell people that it's an exciting project, but it was at a point where you know, the water can drop on the, on the top of the mountain and it can roll one way or it can roll the other. The, the likelihood is equal in both cases. And, and at that time, I saw Lightroom as something that could potentially be something really amazing or something that, I, that nobody would really want anywhere near their resume. And, and there, was, there was no way to really predict at that point um, which way it was going to go. And, and, and that wasn't entirely just uh, dependent upon the people closely involved with it. It was dependent upon all those corporate machinations and the... You know, outside forces that that were uh, in play. Yep. So. so from the very beginning, we had a lot of talk about simplicity and ease of use and keeping Lightroom really lean and mean. I think these were. I'll let Mark speak to that, but I think these were some of the guiding ideas from the beginning. Do you think now that we're just about to ship here, do you think we've achieved that? Well, those things are all relative terms. And what one defines as easy to use it may be different from what another defines as easy to use. But we started from a supposition of content being king. And we wanted to move the interface out of the way of the content. And that was, I think, a real rallying point when we all found a, a model for the UI where we could dedicate up to 95% of the screen to image content and have the UI politely get out of the way or be invoked as needed. Now, lots of people, particularly people who are new to the program, will run it with, with everything open and everything on and the image really small. But once, once you get used to it, you'll find that you can run with the program with your subject filling most of the screen. Mm -hmm. And I find that incredibly pleasurable. I see gigantic images on my screen with just five buttons up along the top, and I know everything else can come and go as I need. So if I were out demoing Lightroom in public, I would start in full screen mode with nothing but an image on screen and those five buttons at the top. And I would slowly work in the UI from there rather than what I've seen out in the world thus far, which is, you know, you start with all the panels and all the pictures. And it's exactly the opposite from the way I demo it. Is that right? I haven't <laughs> seen you demo enough. No, it's an interesting idea. I just hadn't thought of doing it from the inside out. Say, this is it. That's a really interesting idea. I think I'll try that in Atlanta. Works well for demos, probably doesn't work well as a way to ship the app, unfortunately, because then there's the, we have to go looking to discover the controls are there. Once you know the controls are present, it's really nice that they can get out of your way. But from the standpoint of demoing it, people, well, they may go, hey, didn't he go access a control? But if you're demoing as opposed to teaching, 
it's I think works much better to do the. That's this is how I would really run it and yeah. observe how it. You know, conveniently things come and go to the extent that they come and go conveniently, um, and you know, leave the oh well okay let's open everything out and look at all the stuff that's there for when we're actually training and drilling down on what the things are that you need to work with and I think there is very distinctly a difference between the initial presentation and training mode and what you have to have visible versus how you really want to run the app. Getting from that initial state into the ideal state is certainly one of these things that is you know, tricky to figure out how you guide people through. I don't think you know they would respond all that well if you know someday they launch the app and say, we notice you've been running this for a few weeks. You probably know what's in the panel, so we're going to hide them by default now. If you want them back, you can go over here and get them. But <laughs> now maybe if we actually just had something that came up and said that, that would <laughs> solve the problem. But you know, it would be like having, I don't know, stars in a UI that you needed to <laughs> earn to gain extra features. People get a little pissy about that stuff, I, I'm told. Was that a pet fill feature, stars that you had to earn? It was something that was in, in a piece of software that, that I was involved with where, uh, where you had, oh yeah, where you had some that. features Challenges. that were revealed over time. Oh, to those who were worthy. That's right. And, and <laughs> we went into it with the assumption that we were easing the learning curve, you know, hiding some complexity until you were ready for it. But instead what happened was people were pissed off that we had hidden features that they had paid for. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lesson we learned. So we go the other way. You know, we dump everything on you but then say, but you can hide it. <laughs> um, but to get back to your question I, I think we have I think we have something that's it's an elegant environment for looking at and managing and working with images and it's just an endless pleasure it's it's a sticky place for me you know as not, not just for work you know I, I spend I spend 20 hours a day looking at this and I never get tired of it that's something to say oh I'm definitely getting there too it's the polish is finally really starting yeah. to come to the app I think yeah whether it's lean and mean or not I don't know, it's probably subject to debate it depends on how you define lean but I think what we always strived for on this was to say how do you strike the balance between still offering a lot of power but not having the problems that Photoshop has no well we'll ignore the fact that we're now a photo we're now Photoshop but um, <laughs> uh, that Photoshop had with respect to just having you know an overwhelming number of options that are sort of in your face at once. Now, as we discussed, we're dumping a fair amount of things in people's face at once. The, the modules cut it up to some extent, but they're certainly, you know, the right-hand track in develop has a lot of stuff in it. But we've tried to make sure that other than perhaps in the toning model, there aren't lots and lots of ways to do everything and you're constantly having to worry about well which one should I choose and how do they interact it's more the you know trying to get down to a set that's more minimalistic the problem being of course there's always the other tension which is the you know can I please have a knob to let me do this yeah and there's always been some give and take about what do you put in and what don't you put in and how big is the payoff for putting in an extra control over something um We've always known there would be a tricky balance between power and quality and ease of use. Yeah. So um, I, think we've, I think we've struck a really nice balance with, with what we're shipping for 1.0. But I think that another interesting thing, you know, another interesting area of conversation around that idea is 
the idea of workflow and how a, a metaphor for workflow can eliminate the need for stuff like scripting or uh, batch processing or programmability or something. I hear a lot of people saying, well, how do I script, you know, outputting a number of different images in different formats to different folders? And my answer, after I think about that for a while, my answer is always, you know, you don't need scripting for that with Lightroom. You've sort of got it built into the workflow. And with the output presets, the export presets, and 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 that kind of thing, you've actually sort of got an environment where you don't need scripting. I wonder if you want to comment Yeah, I, I mean, I think there is going to be a realm for scripting at some point, but scripting can to some extent become a, a crutch and when one looks and says well what are the things that people are really doing routinely and how do you just make that be a straightforward part of using the app and again balancing the but we don't want to do well we did the survey and people do 50 different things so we had to do 50 different <laughs> commands that would each do all of those things customized at that point then we would have been better off just saying well here's a scripting interface go write the script that does the thing that you need it to do because no one needs to do no individual needs to do all 50 things but discovering that there is a lot of commonality so you know, cases like needing to generate a small jpeg and a big jpeg for the image well export will run in the background it certainly you know, chews up time and you know the app may isn't as responsive while it's doing it but you know so you can launch off and export with a bunch of small jpegs and launch off and export with a bunch of big jpegs for the same set of images and when they're both done you have a small jpeg and a large jpeg and with presets to set that up if you do that a lot you know that's relatively easy um you know it could be one of these things that becomes appealing potentially to start letting you specify multiple cases at once, but all of a sudden that then makes the UI that much more complicated because rather than saying I'm setting up the export, it's I'm setting up an export set which will then have this, and then I'm going to choose which export sets I'm going to use, settings I'm going to use at once, and how those interact because you know I have to make sure that their file naming doesn't conflict so that they're not just you know, writing the small JPEG and the large JPEG with the same name and whichever one writes last wins. <laughs> you know, so that's the sort of balance we're constantly walking on these sorts of things and the feedback from users guides us um, the pressure to actually ship things also is <laughs> increasingly <laughs> guiding where we're at but it's something that I expect is going to be an ongoing issue as we look at you know we'll look at how people are using version one and what things are are people doing frequently using sequences of steps that seem overly convoluted versus what things are, well, yeah, I can see wanting to do that, but you know, what would we have to muddle up in terms of the straightforward path to make some other things easy to do? Um, and so well, there really is always a trade-off there. I think we've struck yeah. a really nice balance for version one. I'm happy with it. I love doing version ones. Yeah. I love doing version ones. Version one is where you stake the territory, stake your claim, and version two is where you get it right. <laughs> and it's the best place to be. It's a rough ride, but but uh, that's what I've always done, and, and I really love it. Hmm. Well, speaking of the version one, I know for a long time we were really struggling internally with the ideas about you know, this being an entirely new application and what would it do to Photoshop and and what would the implications be for cannibalization, yada, yada. And there was a lot of churn, a lot of worry about that. And then 
Aperture came out and we just decided, hey, we have to ship this thing. So did that help us? Did that make our version one better? Well, I think it did. I mean, until Aperture appeared, my impression is that there are those within this company who didn't quite understand uh, or believe that there was a need out there for a product like uh, Lightroom. So in a sense, Aperture provided us with a galvanizing event. And um, there, was, uh, there were murmurs and whispers, and, and there, were, there were forces afoot, and, and it, was, it was tough. It didn't look, for a while, it didn't look like uh, the company would really get behind Lightroom, and we would have to, to disband and, and go do other things. Um, and that was, that was a real uh, Rubicon for me, in, in, in that I was really surprised at how despondent I was at, at the notion that this good work would go wasted, and that the potential would go unrealized. And anybody who was close to me during those two or three days or week, however long it was that we were writing letters and walking the gangplanks and um, trying to make our case, um, knows that I was I was really down. I was really down at the notion. Uh, you so, weren't the only one. Well, I'm, and and the whole team really rallied around it. And when we were able to resume our work, I, I think there was a different. There was a, a renewed vigor and and. Um, and camaraderie from ha- having been through those those trenches. I absolutely agree. But I guess the question was more getting back to your comment about how much confusion there was in questioning about the need for this application. Mm-hmm. I think that was not only going on internally, but it was going on in how we were dealing with our potential customers and our thinking about who they might be and how they might react to the product. And I think it was a month or two after Aperture shipped that I started hearing here and there that... Apple was feeling like Aperture was misunderstood. And I sort of laughed at that and got a little bit of glee out of that. And then it was a month or two later that I started realizing, and we were well into our public beta at that point, I began realizing, oh, no, we have exactly the same problem. (laughs) (laughs) Lightroom is still very much misunderstood. You know, you're getting these constant questions over and over in the trade shows. You know, is Bridge going away? You know, will it become part of the creative suite? You know, and you just realize that the whole non-destructive end-to-end workflow idea for a digital photography application is still really new for people. And uh, there's a lot of confusion around it. How should it work? What should it do? Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where, depending on where you're coming at, there were various biases that made it hard to understand what we were trying to do. I and mean, I would say that you know, I think our target market had always been... These people who, well, yeah, maybe they own Photoshop, but they aren't really heavy users. They're not deeply invested in it. And, of course, you know, the press and so forth is around, th- is around the heavy Photoshop users and the, you know, the power users are the ones who sort of soak up all that information and drive that market. So you go out and you talk to them and you say, well, we're, we're talking to these people who bought Photoshop and use it a little bit, but mostly it sits on the shelf. And, well... That's not their audience. They don't know how to talk to them. So it, it, it doesn't, you know, they're like, what's this product? Why are you doing this? <laughs> that would ha- affect both inside and outside Adobe. Um, you'd look at other products in the marketplace that had done pieces of this sort of work, and there were a variety of raw converters out there. But they'd all basically been able to sort of fit themselves in around Photoshop and so forth. So it's the, okay, we'll give you a way to take your raw files and generate out 
TIFFs or JPEGs or whatever, which you can then take somewhere else and do something with them, but that's it. Uh, you had products like Portfolio and Ivy Media Pro and so forth, which were metadata and image organization tools and would deal with general media assets, but really didn't do much image processing if they did it, or what they did was fairly limited. Um, iView could do some things like generating photo galleries and slideshows out of this, but it wasn't really oriented around uh, authoring those. It's more just a quick way. It's really a, an asset manager. And explaining that the goal in Lightroom was to say, well, there's this core of people who do photography work. They probably own Photoshop, but they don't use it all that much. They are not into spending their time being... Photoshop experts, they're into photography, and Photoshop is a tool that helps them along the way, but it doesn't, a lot of it is just in the way of what they want to do. This was an interesting how distinction. How do we get from capturing images to generating output, which, depending on who you talk to, is print, or it's, you know, I need to do slideshows, or I need to put stuff up on the web, and there are a variety of other output formats that we're not addressing yet. And, you know, I've said repeatedly that, you know, the asset management side of Lightroom, because we talked to the people who are used to asset managers, and they're like, well, where are all the other asset manager features, and you know, why aren't you managing my movies and all these other things? And so it's like, well, we're first trying to solve this photography workflow, which is not asset management, and it's not just raw processing, and it's you know, definitely not you know, deep pixel tweaking, but it's the, how do I go from, I shot a bunch of things, I need to make selects on them, I need to do as much as I can with sort of straightforward image processing, and Camera Raw became the underlying model for that, and then it was, you know, what can we add on top of that to try to encompass more things without becoming a nightmare to generate output on the end. And, you know, the statement I've made is we do enough asset management to feed the develop module, which exists to feed the print module. And so the print module is one of the first things that we got working really well, and we're really happy with how it turned out. Um, now, you do any of those things, you discover, well, we need more develop processing because there are more things you want to do with images, and you need more asset management because you have lots of images, and they're living in lots of places. You've got to manage where all those are at. But... Uh, but it's understanding that the driving force for this is sort of the workflow that gets you from one end to the other. Um, I can hear the, the howls of protest from the forums now. It is about asset management. It is about <laughs> asset management. Yeah, well, you know, it's the <laughs> blind man and the elephant working around on things, but, you know, and, you know trying to decide what it's going to be. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can't use it as an asset manager, and certainly, you know, and if you are working with photography assets, we would hope that we can be a really good asset manager for that. But I think it's helpful when people start saying, well, but what about all these other things, you know, like, like managing movies or managing huge CMYK scans? And it's like, well, you know, we're oriented around this digital photography workflow, and those would be things that might be nice to accommodate, but they don't fit as tightly with the core story, and we're going to grow our support for them to the extent that we can do so without damaging the core story. Yeah, it's Other thing that's story. become clear over time on this, and I think we really hadn't appreciated, is 
how much it becomes interesting to look at doing authoring with images or image-centric authoring. So you know, it started with, yeah, we need to print and we should do slideshows and web galleries. And it increasingly becomes clear that there is a lot of potential and richness at that end of the workflow, which has been largely underplayed. And, you know, our print right now is um, started out essentially as you know, simple one-page prints of images and contact sheets and through you know, a lot of work from Phil and Kevin T's cutter you know, grew into this. Well, actually, you can generate fairly interesting compositions when you discover that you play with aspect ratios on images and what you put on the page and do, you know, well, arguably it's a contact sheet, but it's a really, you know, <laughs> it's different from your traditional contact sheet in that it's, you know, pushing it in artistic directions. And, you know, we can start looking eventually at things like freeform layout. What you'd start getting to at that point is, you know, people look and say, well, how does this compare to Photoshop? Well, at that point, really what we're comparing against is InDesign, except that our primary element is not text or vectors, it's images. And whatever we add in the way of text support and, you know, growth out of the identity plates is in support of delivering compelling content authored with images. And, you know, that's something where we're definitely not at for, for version one. I mean, version one does, I think, you know, the printed output and the slideshows and web galleries are all very nice, but they're you know, pretty narrow in what they do so far. But, you know, I think when we started this, we would have thought they would have stayed narrow. I was like, no, well, actually, <laughs> authoring is really interesting. <laughs> on this yeah, there's side. a lot people want in that realm. Well, now that we're getting down into the details of it... Um, this is why Phil gave the concise description of what Lightroom is, since, or George gave the concise description to Phil of what Lightroom is, since we've just demonstrated that I can run on way too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? George's explanation was, was concise, and the vision within, within the team, little skirmishes notwithstanding, that the overall vision was, was consistent. And it, two things amazed me. One was, was the endemic inability of... of so many people within Adobe to understand what it was you were trying to do. And on the other side of that was my anecdotal research over the first year that I was with the project. I'd go out and live my own life, and, and I, I have many photographers in my life, and you, and you run into them everywhere you go. They're under every rock, there's photographers, and every single one of them that I talked to echoed the story that you were telling me. Every single one of them without fail echoed the workflow, the problems, the pain, and that gave me a great deal of faith in, in what the project was trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, part of our problem internally had been, I mean, George and I, well, particularly George, but it would come back to me as he and I would worry about this, was, you know, there would be this question, well, what's the total addressable market, and, you know, what's the name that you put on these customers, and so forth, and, you know, I don't know how many there are, but we don't seem to be able to swing a dead cat without hitting one, so they've <laughs> got to be pretty common. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Under every rock, hit by dead cats, yes. they're, they're out there. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, there's the problem is, you know, our formal market research, you know, consists of looking <laughs> under rocks and swinging dead cats. <laughs> well, anyway, back to the details. Now that we're, um, we're digging into those UI details a little bit, the crop tool is one that's raised a few, uh, a few eyebrows. Tell me about the crop tool, Phil. How did this come about? Interface work isn't done in a, a silo. It's, it's um, on a project like this where everybody is, is senior. Everybody has many, many years behind them. Ideas, implementations, artwork even, um, UI comes from many, many different directions. In this case, the crop tool came from, um, 
from uh, I believe it was John's, wasn't it, John? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of the origins more than on I. it has been. Yeah, lots of people in Photoshop have asked for a way to crop where you didn't have to rotate your head. Right. And so part of what we said is, okay, well, definitely what we're going to do is we're going to rotate the image, not the crop rectangle. Other thing that had come up, and this was one that had come for me from looking at things, um, and it's why, at least in you know what we've seen through Beta 4, um, though it's not going to entirely stay that way, we didn't have the just drag a rectangle out on the image to crop things down. As I watched John Paul Caponegro doing reviews on people's images and looking at cropping, and he basically would just take a sheet of paper and hold it up you know, on the computer screen but, you know, to hide a portion. And it's like, okay, the way you crop for composition on a lot of this is not draw a box around the stuff you want to keep. It's drag up a shutter or something that hides the portion that you don't want and sort of look at what happens there and trying to balance things out. And the you know some of the behaviors and what gets described as the drunken aviatorness then came as John Steinmetz had dumped on him, you know, well, okay, we want to rotate the image rather than the crop rectangle, and we want to do this thing where we're mostly dragging in from the side. Go figure it and he comes back and says, well, the consequences are that we basically we want to keep it centered, and if we do that, then it means that it moves in these other sort of strange ways. And I think the fact that it, it remains centered is the, the, the point that's lost on most of our users who are complaining about it. Yeah. Um, I think that's really the beautiful aspect of it. Is for it those people, there, there's a standard crop frame here, so you can use a, a conventional crop. I find this really pleasant to use myself. And... Um, what I had meant to say before was that on a team like this with so many senior people, the ideas fly from every, every which way. Sometimes an engineer will implement something and all I have to do is draw a rectangle around it or, or, or make it pink and I'm done. <laughs> That's all I have to do. Other times it's, it's you know, something I bring to the team and it takes weeks of discussion and months and months and months and, and, and really hard work and concentration and you just, you never know, but it's really important that everybody is as engaged as everybody is. Because I can't do this alone. I can't design alone. Um, I don't know how engineers feel, but it takes both halves of the equation. And everybody is, is so participatory. Um, well, I just think it's really fabulous that we came up with something that is entirely new. I mean, there's a whole lot of things in Lightroom that are entirely new. but There's some real useful the novelty. Crop, yeah. Yeah. You, you look at what most people do, and a lot of it comes down to they go and they copy Photoshop. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, this is something I used to complain about when I was working on Photoshop and people would copy Photoshop, was a lot of the times they would copy Photoshop and do it worse, mm -hmm. which always sort of bothered me. There were people who at Adobe who would get upset because Photoshop had been copied and they, you know, people were trying things. My reaction was, you had Photoshop to copy, you should have been able to do at least as well as we did because <laughs> you could see what we did and improve on it. Um, we had lots but, of people you know, uh, you know, doing the that. Lightroom team probably, you know, well, I know, gets accused of you know willfully doing things differently from Photoshop, and I don't think there's been really anything where we've gone and said, well, we can't do it that way because that's how Photoshop does it. But well, I remember in a move that we sort of that we made that was you know relatively strong and radical was saying. Yeah, we can look at how Photoshop does it, but just because Photoshop does it that way doesn't carry any weight in terms of judging whether that's the right way to do it. 
Right. No, we held we to that will, pretty firmly. I, I, was, I was scared when I jumped in here because you all were so adamant about avoiding Photoshop-isms. I kept saying, look, I've been working in Photoshop for a decade or more, and there's real work in here. There's good stuff in here. Don't toss out the baby with the bath. And uh, you were insistent upon going down a newer road. And, and in truth, that's the road I'm most comfortable on anyway. Um, but I found it odd that, that I was the voice of convention. Uh, <laughs> not, not your usual and, role. Okay, for yeah, the, I for the first time in my life. Yeah, I don't think we ever... Yeah, I, I, I would hope we never said we can't do it that way because Photoshop does it that way. No, it wasn't we certainly that. Would, no, you said yeah, it, you said but it we best. were very aware of, among other things, that also starting down the path of being Photoshop and, and adopting things from Photoshop was very much a slippery slope. And Adobe's already built Photoshop, and they've built it really well. And going down that path and building it again, <laughs> only slightly different, wasn't that it wasn't going to teach us anything doesn't particularly make that new. Much sense, yeah. No, I hear I get this on the forums all the time. I mean, I get, you know, you've got to have this, you've got to have this or I won't use it. And I'm just looking at those things and thinking those are the things you do in Photoshop. We're not going to rebuild Photoshop, you know. <laughs> on the on the subject of, of theft uh, that we were on before, I I certainly had experience with that in the 90s and so many people copied the interfaces we were building in the 90s and most of them did you it worse. identify where you work. I spent most of the 90s uh, working with Kai Krauss at uh, Meta Creations and all the other iterations of that company before and after. And it was a wonderful time, and I learned a great deal from Kai and the, the amazing designers that we pulled in around us. Actually, did you know that one of the things we did long before you joined the team was went out and got a copy of Photo Soap and installed it, and we all raked I, it over? And actually, that was... Somewhat, but that was only shortly before Phil joined. Sure. Though, though I, it, I know that it was I, Poser 3D that actually got him the job. <laughs> <laughs> Poser was something I was very proud of for years until I did Hello World with my partner, another another Kai, Kai Greater, which I was very proud of, and, and I felt that was going to be the feather in my cap. But at this point, I'm, I think Lightroom is absolutely, the it's, it's just lovely. I'm quite in love with it. So um, let's talk about the modular structure just a little bit before we wrap up. Wasn't the primary motivation for the modular structure to group the features together by task in order to simplify, or was well, it Well, I mean, that was certainly where we ended that. up. I mean, where the modular structure came from originally has its origins back in work on Photoshop. I mean, the thing that had started to evolve in Photoshop were these, you know, well, we had various plugin filters that were arriving that, forget whether I was calling them Mondo plugins or what, but whatever, but uh, things like liquify which had a whole set of tools and did all sorts of things it was its own little world and extract which didn't have as many tools but was its own little world and you could look outside at some of the things that extensus was doing in which you know you'd, you'd launch the plugin and it basically and it wasn't just in the way that the KPT stuff where it took over the interface and sort of presented itself. So this was really, you know, we're going into a world and we have a fairly elaborate tool set that's dedicated for a particular task. And the direction that Photoshop had was always sort of, okay, well, you're inside the big Photoshop core and then you go out to this little world which in itself is, is rich and complicated. But then you come back to the big core, and then you move out to some other little world, and you do some work, and you come back. And the question that I started asking, because when I started this project, I was actually looking at image editing 
and playing with image editing ideas was what if you say, well, no, you never go back to, there isn't a core that you go back to. There's a core that supports everything that you know, owns, you know, this is where the pixels live and everything talks to. But the user's experience is to just go from environment to environment to environment around the outside. Hmm. And thinking about how we could build an image editor that way that would avoid having the, well, now I'm back in the big complicated place. Now I'll go to the task-dedicated space where I'll just have the tools I need, but then I always have to go back to the big complicated space. Instead, one could say, well, you know, here I am, I'm in Liquify, and I'm liquefying and moving stuff around in the image. Oh, now I need to go to the place where I have my masking tools. Can I just, you know, somehow jump there directly and work with masking and so forth and then move over to, you know, the sharpening space or whatever. And we took that idea and said, you know, as we evolved into more of this, well, we're going to work more on the photography workflow because that is a problem that was more pressing for people. Better image editing or different image editing was interesting, but it wasn't as pressing a problem in terms of what we were seeing was, you know, okay, well, how does that start to apply from the standpoint of saying, well, what I want is dedicated environments and spaces that have shortcuts and expose just the tools I need for working on this particular problem, but at the same time make it easy to go from place to place to place as opposed to, you know, you're forced to walk through this. I mean, we talk about having to go down the path in Lightroom, but one of the key things with the modules is the notion that you know, if you need to bounce from one module to another, it's lightweight to do so. Mm -hmm. And you go to the, the module because it offers the tools you need. Um, is it as lightweight a move as you'd like it to be? Oh, probably not. I mean, we'd like it to be perfectly lightweight, but also to have, you know, a... a beautiful transition that gets you from one to the next, except that you, the transition has to be short enough that you don't get annoyed at the animation that's going on, um, which is always an interesting balance to strike on things. We had some history with this model, too, with um, Photosoap. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we certainly could have called modules rooms. <laughs> in, in, a, in a sense, and, and, and um, we, we had done this product called Photosoap way back when. I don't, I don't remember what the year was, but digital cameras were relatively new at the time, and and uh, we built, a, a Kai, Kai actually had this notion of rooms that he uh, built into a number of his products, some which got released and some which remained in the test bed. Um, so this was a, a language that I was already conversant with when I came to you and I found you, you weren't able to tell me the nature of the project you were working on at, at the time we first met. We couldn't even say Photosoap Pro to you, could we? Because well, we actually had jokingly George, said George, that we George was suspiciously we were interested in Photosoap. He asked me a, a few too many questions about Photosoap. But that said, there is at times some merit to this notion of the garden path of gently assisting the user to get to the places where they need to go without being constraining. And um, so you, you can enter and, and, uh, and, uh, and leave the path at any time. And, and these modules are, are extensible. And I think it's a comfortable way to go. Uh, some professionals prefer the sort of everything everywhere model. And it's a legitimate thing to, to want to work within. Aperture uses this sort of everything everywhere thing. I find it a little... Uh, you know, everything in the basket -y, you know, and Photoshop is kind of like that. You've got access to everything all the time. Uh, I very much like a dedicated space where you can, where you can leverage that space to do stuff mm -hmm. um, uh, that you couldn't do if you, if you had to host everything all the time. Sure. I think in Lightroom it's working really well. Save perhaps the 
distinction between the library and develop. And I think this is where a lot of users have kind of gotten hung up. They want to be able to go back and forth really easily. And I think this was probably the genesis of uh, quick develop. Is that right? To some extent. I mean, well, quick develop actually, I'm not sure fully what its source was. I mean, one of the things was there's a plug-in or extension to bridge that lets you just sort of go and tweak on the settings there. Well, it was, it was about doing non-contiguous adjustments on multiple images just, simultaneously. You know, it was basically, I mean, we'd always recognized that there were sort of two reasons to want to be working in develop, and one of them is I'm really, really polishing this image, and the other is I'm in the process of just doing review and trying to look at things for you know, sharpness and composition and so forth. But if the image, if the exposure is off on the image or the white balance is off, that will color my judgment and I need to have enough controls present while I'm doing the review process to be able to try to address some of those issues um, while at the same time, you know, trying not to have all of develop get sucked in with this. So this has been... The tricky part, we've known that the hard part in doing modules was always going to be, if people find themselves having to jump between modules too often, you've done the partitioning wrong. And of course, the way you avoid making them jump between things too often is you just dump everything into every module, except at that point, then you've lost the benefit of the dedicated space. So it's always playing this balancing act between, well, we're going to have to have some replicated functionality across things because you just you need it everywhere, but we don't want too much of it. Um, and the other thing that I think has hurt with respect to library and develop has been that library has been evolving and the amount of metadata support in it has been limited and you know, where we sort of see things evolving to is libraries a place where you organize and you apply metadata and you do things that are frequently designed to just blast across a bunch of images and you know stamp stuff down and move quickly and you know rearrange things and develop as much more about tuning images but to the extent that library hasn't always, you know, delivered all of that side of things, people have found themselves, well, they're just as comfortable being in develop except when they're not. <laughs> and, um, you, you can see some of this reflected in the priorities that get made in the app. You can arrow through images a lot faster in the library because we said, well, you know, what people want to do in libraries, they're flipping through and they're reviewing things and we need to emphasize that. Um, develop is slower because develop says the moment you go and arrow to an image, it says, well, I bet you probably actually want to go and edit the settings on that. I better go start loading in the negative data to enable you to do that so that we're not, you're not sitting there where it says, well, I should wait, you know, a half second or a second while I see whether you're really interested in this image. Well, in develop, we'll just assume you're interested in that image and load things up. But that means that the flip from image to image logic doesn't work as fast because we've got the processor busy doing something else. So that's where they're headed, whether they've parsed out and been partitioned completely successfully or not. I mean, that's sort of an evolving thing for us. Um, 
I certainly would probably like you know access to applying more metadata you know further downstream in some of the other modules as well for you know setting mm. captions while I'm in the midst of the the slideshow module for example. Well, um, for a while we had that in slideshow where you could just click and and it would actually load into the uh, caption. Yeah. Field. So and I forget where that's ended up these days. Um, so I end up just I doing slideshows without captions because I don't have time to do all of my all the captioning. Oh, that's a great slideshow I've had running for the last <laughs> month has you know, three thousand images in it, and there's no way I'm captioning all of them. <laughs> no, we need you to code, <laughs> code, code, code. Uh, but you know, and there is so there is certainly there's tension that wants to distribute everything everywhere, but at the same time, when you do that, you get into just the glut of palettes effect, which I think really hurts Photoshop's approachability um, mm. and arguably its usability as well, that you spend all of your time sort of managing, you know, get this palette out of the way, I didn't want it right now. <laughs> You're always moving them around, getting them where you want them. Well, Phil, what's been the biggest challenge on, on Lightroom for you? Uh, the biggest challenge, uh, I think it's been um, just meeting the team where they live and, uh, and learning to work well with this team and uh, to deliver what they want and to deliver something that pleases me and, and um, makes me feel like I'm moving forward. Adapting to daylight hours. I th I th well, Avoid yeah, avoiding friction <laughs> with the daytime community. <laughs> <laughs> but the tru truly, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, when you're, when you're used to, to working with a certain crew for, and in a certain way for, for a long period of time, it's, it's a hard thing to know whether you're going to be of service to any other group ever in the world ever again in your life. And uh, you guys in particular have been, have been wonderful and uh, patient and, and supportive, not second-guessing too much, you know, the things that I'm doing. And, and everybody, everybody on the team is, is just amazing. And, um, and at the same time, the biggest challenge for me has been getting to know everybody on the team and standing in that place with them. Well, I think spending the summer in uh, Minneapolis didn't hurt that process, did it? That, that was one of the most amazing things. Um, I spent three months in Minnesota because I felt like I needed better proximity with the engineers out there um, in order to, to ensure that the UI would have a chance of achieving the kind of fidelity that you all were looking for to begin with. So my, my wonderful girlfriend Pam came out there with me and we spent the summer there. And not only did we, we get to know the team better and establish some good rhythms, which is, which is always great. When you're working remotely, if you've established rhythms already, then the remote work goes much better. So it was wonderful to get to know everybody on a closer basis out there. But it was also wonderful to get to know Minnesota. I'd never been there before. And it, it was just a fantastic place, a fantastic experience. And we had such a good time out there. And it's paid off in droves. Um, the quality of the work that we've been doing remotely since then, I believe, is is just much better than it was before. Well, and, I'll second um, that. I'm, I'm loving the way the app is looking these days. To the extent that the app succeeds UI-wise, it couldn't have and wouldn't have without that mm. time in Minnesota. Well, it really feels like you're settling in and that the whole team is mm -hmm. sort of firing on all cylinders now. And everybody's excited about the launch. And so I just want to congratulate you guys on uh, pulling together a terrific product. Thank you, George. Thank you. All right. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up. And um, I have a lot of questions about other UI stuff, develop module stuff, and where the raw settings have all gone. But I think we'll save that for another podcast, maybe uh, with the raw where team. Where have the raw settings all gone? They've gone in a new direction. Uh, anyway, 
anyway, read the, read the, so read the manual, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, yeah, Thomas oh, suddenly yeah. decided that he was actually interested in what we were doing and you know, started voicing opinions. I love that. I, you know, he jumps in the forums every now and then. That surprises me, too. But, yeah. well, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, looking forward to a successful ship. And um, maybe we'll have a chance to come back, circle around, and do a podcast on uh, what's in store for V2 after we ship V1. Thanks, George. Thanks. Thank you.